0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet wasallam, in an attempt to learn about him, love him and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship and tarbiyah these are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ go to seerahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ajma'in. InshaAllah continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, nabawiyyah the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we were discussing and talking about, we were learning about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. We were talking about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, And so in the previous session, what we discussed, what we talked about was the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, along with 1400 Muslims, departed from the city of Medina and proceeded towards the city of Makkah. We also discussed and talked about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ and all the believers that were with the Prophet ﷺ, all went into the state of ihram. So they all assumed the state of ihram. And being men, right, of course, the requirement for men in ihram is that they have to wear the specific type of garments. And so they were wearing those garments. Along with that they were traveling with um, a very large quantity of, of animals for the purposes of sacrifice. And further on top of that, they weren't carrying with them you know, military supplies. So this was very obviously from the very onset, a peaceful mission if you will, to go and perform the Umrah. Now we talked about how when the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, they came near the city of Mecca, Then they were basically blocked off. They were cut off by, you know, some forces and certain uh, some cavalry along with Khalid bin Walid, who would become Muslim later on. They were blocked off and they were cut off from uh, proceeding forward into the city of Mecca. And the Prophet ﷺ at that particular time, you know. tried to speak to different people within Mecca. He tried to send different people from some of the other tribes that the Muslims had alliances and allegiances with and try to reason with the people of Mecca, that do not prevent us, do not block us, we are not here to fight, we are here for a peaceful mission. We just want to pay our respects to the Kaaba, to the Baytullah, to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and perform the ziyarah, offer the rights of the Kaaba. Of course, the Meccans were very stubborn and belligerent, and they just would not come around. And in fact, they ended up insulting, and, and completely just uh, refusing. Uh, many of the people that, the, that were coming to speak on behalf of the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. And what we talked about previously was, finally at the end of that, the Prophet ﷺ wanted to send Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu to go and try to work something out and negotiate. And the Prophet ﷺ made a very interesting comment at that time as well, where he said that if they want to negotiate, I will negotiate. If they want peace, I will make peace. If they want a treaty, I will give them a treaty. And so Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu very respectfully and humbly said, O Messenger of God, my relationship with the people of Mecca has been very contentious ever since I became Muslim and even more so after I migrated. But I have a suggestion of someone who has been able to maintain. A little bit more of a cordial relationship. He has the right demeanor and the right personality and the right reputation. And that is none other than Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet, sallallahu liked the suggestion and he sent Uthman, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, into Mecca. We talked about how when Uthman, radiallahu anhu, got there, he displayed this profound gesture of love for the Prophet, sallallahu That where Abu Sufyan told him that, listen, while we deliberate, and we talk about what we can figure out here, you are free to go and perform, you know, do the tawaf. And he said, I will never do the tawaf without the Prophet ﷺ. And they were a little bothered by that, so they ended up locking him in a room, not necessarily imprisoning him, but they did kind of lock him and tell him to wait in a room while they deliberated. That somehow created the rumor, spurned the rumor that Uthman radiallahu ta'ala had been killed by the Quraysh. And the Prophet was so taken aback and infuriated and hurt by that, and the Muslims were so rattled by that, that the Prophet wasallam he gathered and congregated all the believers. And that was, we talked about this previously, that is when the very historic and the very epic oath of allegiance, the bay'ah, occurred under the shade of the tree known as bay'at al ridwan or Bay'atul shajara that the quran speaks about in laqad uh, mu'minina that allah is pleased allah has declared his pleasure with those individuals that gave you o muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the oath of allegiance under the tree And I mentioned this before in the previous session, which was actually particularly for those who come here or tune in online, um, that was… Quite a few weeks ago, and I had mentioned at the end of that session that, insha'Allah, uh, we were going to be having a little bit of a hiatus, a little pause, because alhamdulillah, we were going for the Umrah uh, trip. Qalam takes an Umrah group every year, where we go and we study the life and the Sirah of the Prophet ﷺ at the place, at the places where the events actually occurred. And alhamdulillah, one of the things I had mentioned was we were able to visit the place of Hudaybiyah. And that particular place where the bay'ah occurred is still marked there till today. And we were able to go there and observe that place and learn the lesson of the treaty of Hudaybiyah standing at the place in the maqam of Hudaybiyah. So it makes it a reality and it's very, very truly profound. And it really is, um, it's very overwhelming. To think about that powerful moment when that occurred. And the Qur'an was revealed and Allah had declared His pleasure. And we'll be talking more about the virtues of the people who participated in Hudaybiyah. Nevertheless, they gave that oath of allegiance and of course very, you know, uh, beautifully. The Prophet ﷺ, he took one hand and put it in the other hand and he said that, uh, that this is the hand of Uthman. That the Prophet ﷺ took the oath of allegiance on behalf of Uthman رضي الله تعالى عنه. Nevertheless, we said that right as soon as a little while after they were done with these proceedings, they saw Uthman رضي الله تعالى عنه coming back, and they found out that he was still alive and he was safe and sound, and everyone was very relieved at that particular news. Nevertheless, now that Uthman رضي الله تعالى عنه is coming back, he's not coming alone. So, this is where we're picking up from. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu is coming back. The Prophet sallallahu season sees him. He's overjoyed. The Muslims are relieved. And everyone is very pleased, very happy. And they thank and they praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But now we pick up from here. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu did not come alone. But somebody came along with him. Somebody tagged along with him. And who came? <coughs> Quraysh sent an emissary to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi a negotiator to the Prophet sallallahu by the name of Suhail ibn Amr. And they took their, the instructions of the Quraysh to this man were, I'ti Muhammadan wa Go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and negotiate a treaty with him. Reach some type of an understanding and some type of peace with the Prophet sallallahu and with the Muslims. And they told him, وَلَا يَكُنْ فِي سُلْحِهِ إِلَّا أَن يَرْجِي عَنَّا They said that there is one thing that is absolutely non-negotiable in this treaty. <clears throat> so Suhail bin Amr, just a little bit of information on him, he had been up, up until this point, a very staunch opponent and enemy of the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims and Islam. And he was a very, very shrewd individual. So Quraysh was very confident that he was gonna go there and try to get more than he gave. He was going to get more than he gave. But on top of that, they just clarified one thing. That there is one thing that we are not willing to negotiate on, non-negotiable. And that is that they will go back home this year. They cannot proceed on into Mecca, they cannot do their umrah. We don't care if they want three days, we don't care if they want a day, we don't care if they want three, three hours or an hour. They will not come into Mecca this year. There is no negotiating on that, on that issue. And they said, فَوَاللَّهِ لَا يَتَحَدَّثُ الْعَرَبُ أَنَّهُ دَخَلَهَا عَنْوَةً أَبَدًا He said, because the Arabs, the rest of the Arabian Peninsula, the tribes of the Arabs will never spare us. They will mock us, they will ridicule us, and they will no longer respect us. That Muhammad ﷺ and the Muslims, they forced their way into Mecca, and you people couldn't stop them. So Suhail bin Amr comes to the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet sees him in the distance. He says, The Prophet ﷺ said, "The people, the Quraysh, they want to negotiate, and that's why they're sending this man because he had a reputation for being a negotiator." So when Suhail comes to the Prophet ﷺ, he starts talking to the Prophet ﷺ, and he goes on talking, almost like making you know small talk. He talks and he talks and he talks, and then finally they take a little bit of a break. And then when they come back to the table, he then says, we should figure out some terms that we both find agreeable. I have license on behalf of the Quraysh to negotiate with you. I'm assuming you can negotiate on behalf of your people. We should, we should come to some type of terms. So they begin to talk and they basically arrive at some basic terms. And then the narration says, All that was left was to write down this peace treaty now. بكر, بكر. But now there's a little bit of a side story that develops here that is very fascinating that I want everyone to really pay attention to and really understand. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he hears that the terms are pretty much being negotiated to, and now they're just waiting to sit down and write it down and formalize it stamp it and seal it umar radiyallahu ta'ala jumps up and he goes to abubakar radiyallahu ta'ala and he says ya abubakar alaysa bi rasul illahi sallallahu alayhi wa salam he points at the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa salam respectfully but he gestures towards the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa salam he says is that not the messenger of god you understand the tone like don't we have the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa salam on our side and Abu Bakr says Bala, of course. He says, Awalla's bil muslimeen? Are we not Muslims? Followers of the true faith and the true religion? He says, Bala, of course. He says, awalaisu bil Mushrikeen? And these people, are they not idol worshippers, idolaters? Right? And and polytheists? Like they don't have the correct belief? He says, Bala, of course, yeah, Umar. That is the case, that is the truth. He says, Then why are we compromising with these people? Why are we accepting, you know, making compromises and negotiating and allowing them to negotiate us down? Why are we allowing them to negotiate us down? Why? Abu Bakr رضي الله تعالى عنه says, يَا عُمَرْ إِلْزَمْ غَرْزَهُ He says, O oh Umar, Don't lose sight of the objective. Stick to the Prophet ﷺ. Right? It's an expression in the Arabic language where it basically means that, you know, if you're you're kind of going and you're holding on to someone who knows the path, right? Or, Or a horse is going, you're kind of holding on to the horse and walking along, right? That was an expression in Arabic. And what it basically means is don't let go of the... Of the of the of the shawl of the Prophet. ﷺ. You know how like when a father walks and the son, like kind of the small son walks alongside of him and maybe holds on to the side of the shirt or the shawl or you know, the end of the qamis or something like that, and just kind of holds on and walks along. And this is not to call Umarhu a child, well billah but the Prophet ﷺ is a father figure to all of us, right? And so he says, don't let go of the Prophet sallallahu Hold on to him. Don't worry. You'll get to where you need to get to. But never let go. And he says, فَإِنِّي أَشْهَدُ أَنَّهُ رَسُولُ Because O oh Umar, I bear witness, I give testimony that he is the messenger of God. And Umar wa ta'ala responds by saying, وَأَنَا أَشْهَدُ أَنَّهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ that don't worry, Ya Aba Bakr, I'm not confused, I'm not deluded. I also testify that he is, without a shred of a doubt, the Messenger of God. But then Umar رضي taala goes to the Prophet wasallam and he says, Ya Rasulullah, Allah, بِي رَسُولِ الله? O Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam, are you not the Messenger of Allah? And he says, Bala, of course, Ya Umar. أَوَلَسْنَا muslimin? Are we not the Muslims? The people who truly submit to Allah? He says, Bala, of course, ya Umar. bil Are they not the mushrikun? Like not on the right side of the issue? He says, Bala, of course, ya Umar. Then he again he says, "For alama Why are we accepting compromise? Why are we allowing them to negotiate us down? Then the Prophet ﷺ says, اَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُهُ Oh Umar, I am the slave of Allah, and I am the messenger of Allah. لَنْ أَمْرَهُ I can never ever disobey the command of Allah ta'ala. I can never ever go against what Allah has instructed me. And Allah will never allow me to perish, to suffer, right allah will not leave abandon me allah will not leave me high and dry so don't worry omar there's a plan here bigger than bigger than what you can see and understand omar radiAllahu ta'ala anhu fa omar radiAllahu ta'ala anhu for the rest of his life for the rest of his life omar radiAllahu ta'ala anhu used to say ma asumu wa atasaddaqu wa usalli wa u'tiq min alladhi sana'tu yawma مَخَافَةَ كَلَامِي أَلَّذِي تَكَلَّمْتُ يَوْمَئِذٍ حَتَّى رَجَوْتُ أَنْ يَكُونَ خَيْرًا Umar رضي الله تعالى عنه says, for the rest of my life, I never stopped extra fasting, like optional fasting, extra fasting, extra charity, extra prayers, freeing slaves, doing any type of a good deed that I could do to make up for what I did on that day. The way I spoke out of line on that day. Because I was so afraid of how I had spoken and what I had said on that day, until I hoped that my good would overcome whatever wrong I might have committed. And of course we know that Umar radiallahu anhu is a Jalilul Qadr Sahabi, he's a great Honorable, distinguished companion of the Prophet. ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ congratulated him of paradise. We have no doubt about the fact that Umar is from the people of paradise. But you see the taqwa, the God consciousness, the responsibility, the self accountability of Umar ibn Khattab that, in spite of the fact that the Prophet ﷺ has already vouched and guaranteed that he will go to paradise, he holds himself so accountable. Where do you and I stand in that regard? We don't have any guarantees coming our way. But do we really reflect on and ponder and catch ourselves and hold ourselves accountable for what we say, what we do, how we act, how we conduct ourselves? Really some profound food for thought. Then the Prophet ﷺ calls Ali bin Abi Talib رضي الله تعالى عنه, and he says, "Uktub, I need you to write on my behalf because the Prophet be a al the Prophet did not write. So he calls Ali and he says, You write on my behalf, I will dictate you you were right. Alright? وطعنا, let's go, I'm ready. And the Prophet says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Suhail immediately interrupts and he says, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I don't even understand the words you just said. I told you. Very sharp, very shrewd, very cunning. Right? So he says, I don't even understand what you just said. He said, Wellakinuktu Allahumma, Rather, write, in the name of God. But not this Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Not 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 this. This is your Muslim thing. But the pre Islamic Arabs were used to the phrase Bismikallah Allahumma, In the name of the Supreme Lord. The Prophet says, Go ahead. اُكْتُبْ اللهم. Write it. So فكتبها. So Ali رضي الله wrote it. ثُمَّ قال, اُكْتُبْ هَذَا مَا عَلَيْهِ مُحَمَّدُ So Now, O Ali, write, the following is what has been agreed to between Muhammad وسلم, Muhammad the Messenger of God, and Suhail bin Amr. Immediately, Suhail jumps in and he says, Law shahidtu anna lam Listen, no, no, no. How can you, if this is an agreement between the two of us, how can you write Muhammad Rasulullah? If I accepted that you were Rasulullah, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be sitting on the opposite sides of the table. I wouldn't be opposed to you. He says, rather, Oktub isma ka wa isma abik. Write your name and your father's name. So the Prophet ﷺ then tells Ali Oktub, "Hada ma salah alayhi Muhammad ibn Abdullah Sohail ibnu Amr." Then he told Ali رضي الله تعالى عنه who that this is what Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, has come to terms with or has agreed to with Suhail bin Amr. So. Now, or here are the terms of the agreement. Number one, they both agreed, both parties have agreed that they are calling a 10-year ceasefire. <laughs> okay, that's the second term. So they will not fight each other and not only that, but they will defend each other. If somebody else tries to instigate or pick a fight with them. Number two, whoever leaves Quraysh, Makkah, Quraysh, and goes to join Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasalam without clearance from Quraysh, then that person will be returned back to Quraysh. Muslim or non-Muslim. But if somebody leaves Quraysh without clearance, without approval, he will that person will be handed back over to Quraysh. And if somebody leaves Muhammad ﷺ, Medina, and comes to the Quraysh in Mecca, they do not have to return that person back. And the Prophet said, okay. The next term of the agreement was, and this was standard operating procedure for treaties and agreements at that particular time in, in Arabia. The next term of the agreement was, if somebody would like to align themselves, ally themselves with the Muslims, they can align themselves with the Muslims and they will be a party to this treaty. And if somebody wants to align themselves with the Quraysh, another tribe, wants to affiliate themselves with the Quraysh, they can do so now and officially be entered and party to this treaty. And then they will be covered by the terms of the treaty as well. So at this particular time, Khuza'a, Banu Khuza'a, who the Muslims already had very good terms and dealings with, this was a tribe that was like a Bedouin tribe that was outside of the city of Mecca. They said, we would like to align ourselves and affiliate ourselves with Muhammad Some of the Muslims. They were not Muslim yet, but they said we'd like to affiliate ourselves with them. And then Banu Khuzah was written into the agreement as the affiliates of the Muslims. As the associates of the Muslims. And Banu Bakr, which was another tribe outside of Mecca, another Bedouin tribe outside of Mecca, they said we would like to align and affiliate and associate ourselves with the Quraysh. And then they were written into the agreement as well. The next term, now this is very important even though I'm mentioning this as a term, Banu Khuzaa are affiliates, associates of the Muslims. Banu Bakr are affiliates of the Quraysh. And what that means is, the Quraysh cannot attack the Muslims and the Muslims cannot attack the Quraysh. But what that also means is, Banu Bakr, the affiliates of the Quraysh, cannot attack the Muslims or Khuzaa. And what that also means is Khuzāa cannot attack Banu Bakr or the Quraysh. Alright? That's basically what this means. The ne- and this is very important to remember because this will lead, this particular detail will lead to a major event later in the life of the Prophet. ﷺ. The next term of the agreement was Katarji o' amakahada. That you have to go back this year, you are not allowed to enter into Makkah. However, however, you can come back next year for the duration, the total duration of three days. And all you can carry with you are weapons that are normally carried when people travel. Like you can't bring any artillery and weaponry, like as a military, as an army. No army, weaponry or artillery. But obviously at that particular time, everybody carried a sword when you traveled. right? So you can have that much that people travel with, but that has to be sheathed. And that has to be tied up. So that it's visible that you do not mean any type of harm. It's not threatening. And you can come back in for three days and at that time you can do whatever it is that you'd like to do, whatever religious ritual that you'd like to perform. The Umrah. And they would come back, we'll be talking about that later, they would come back and that is considered the second umrah in the life of the Prophet of Hudaybi has kind of called the first umrah, even though they didn't actually perform the umrah. But it's another type of umrah called umrah al-ihsar. When you go for umrah and then you are blocked off by an enemy and you are not able to proceed, you then just remove your ihram, you shave your head, you remove your ihram, and that is considered the reward of an umrah for you. And then you try to make it up whenever you can. So if Hudebi Maybe as the first Umrah, then the follow-up which is called Umrah al-Qabah, which we will talk about, is the second Umrah in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So now it gets very interesting. While they're there writing up this contract and agreement and treaty, and they haven't finalized it yet, Abu Jandal shows up. Who is Abu Jandal? Abu Jandal is a young man from the Quraysh. He's a young man from the Quraysh, who had become Muslim. And after becoming Muslim, he had been tortured and persecuted. He had been chained, he had been locked, he had been beaten, he had been tortured because they were trying to dissuade him from his Islam. But he had been firm and steadfast and strong. And he had not lost his resolve, he had not given up. But the biggest detail of all of this is this extremely devout young Muslim man Who held this faith in the face of such torment and torture and persecution? He was the son of Suhail bin Amr. This is Suhail bin Amr's own blood, his own son. So Abu Jandal comes running and he sees the Prophet and he comes running into the arms of the Prophet. And the narration says. That he comes to the Prophet الله الله and the Prophet became extremely emotional when he saw him. The Prophet eyes welled up with tears at seeing Abu Jandal and how desperate he was. And he said, "O oh, Messenger of God, please take me with you. Please take me with you." And Suhail When he sees his son Abu Jandal, he goes, stands up, and he grabs him, and he hits him on his face, slaps him across the face as hard as he can, and then he grabs him by his hair, and he starts dragging him, and he says, he turns to the Prophet ﷺ and says, "Ya Muhammad." (laughs) <laughs> and he says that, O oh Muhammad, you and I, we've already shaken on this. We might not be done writing it down, but we have already shaken on this. We've already agreed and we've shaken hands on this. This is done. He's trying to say that. Abu Jandal goes back with me, per the terms of our agreement. And the Prophet says, صَدَقْتُ that is true. Right? The Prophet is the pinnacle of truth and honesty and integrity and decency. He says that is the truth. And then he grabs his own son, his own flesh and blood, by the hair and He starts dragging him on the ground, and the son is screaming and crying, Ya rasulullah Ya rasulullah Abu Jandal is screaming, Ya Mashar al muslimin My Muslim brothers. Urattu, ilal mushrikina ni They're gonna take me back to Makkah. They torture me, trying to get me to leave my religion. And the people started getting more and more anxious and nervous and distraught, wringing their hands, what do we do? What do we do? And the Prophet, ﷺ, very emotional, tears in his eyes. He says, Ya Aba jandal isbir wahtasib. Isbir wahtasib, Be patient and never lose hope in Allah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ جَاعِلٌ لَكَ وَلِمَنْ مَعَكَ مِنَ الْمُسْتَضَعَفِينَ فَرَجًا Allah will make a way for you. Allah will make a way for you. We have finally some type of peace with these people. وَعَعْطَيْنَاكُمْ عَلَى ذَلِكَ and we took an oath in the name of Allah and we gave our word to these people. And I can't break my word. We can't do that. There's something bigger at play here. And you are being asked to sacrifice, there's no doubt. But somebody always has to sacrifice, don't they? And it's not that the Prophet ﷺ is asking someone to, look at what the Prophet ﷺ has sacrificed. The three years in the shi'b of Abi Talib. His own injuries and wounds on the day of Uhud. His own daughter passed away and died while he was away at the battle of Badr. His own uncle was killed and mutilated terribly. Right, so he sacrificed. He said, look, sacrifice is always required of some. And Allah is asking for your sacrifice. I am asking for your sacrifice here. But there's a bigger picture here, Abu Jandal. Umar radiyallahu anhu. He gets up. Finally they let Abu Jandal, Suhail bin Amr, he allows Abu Jandal to get up. Now that the Prophet kinda consoled him and comforted him, and Abu Jandal, you know, kind of calmed down. So then he lets him go. Abu Jandal stands up and starts walking. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes and starts walking along the side of Abu Jandal, kind of consoling him. He says, Isbir Ya Aba Jandal, Be patient, my brother. Be patient. Fainama humul mushrikeun. These are Mushirikun, idol worshippers. Damu ahadihim damu kalb. He says that their blood is like the blood of a dog. Right? These are filthy animals. It's like an expression in Arabic means. And again, that seems kind of harsh, right? But context is very important. He's talking to a man who is tortured by his own father. Simply because he believes in something. He's not a criminal. He's of noble lineage. He's never hurt a single person in his life. He just chooses to believe something. And they torture him because of that. So Umar radiallahu ta'a consoling his brother, he says, These are wild animals. Don't 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 mind them. And then Umar Radiallahu tala, he says, While I'm walking with him, and while I was talking to him, Umar Radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that I had a sword on my side, kind of strapped to my side, and I started to walk in such a way where I kind of moved my arm out of the way. And I kind of like stuck out like my hip a little bit, and I got close to him so that if he wanted to, he could have grabbed my sword. And Umar anhu says, an abahu. And deep down inside I hoped that he would grab the sword and he'd take care of his father. Qala, wa he says, But his father took him away. And the deal was sealed. And when the Prophet ﷺ was done, the contract, the treaty was done, the Prophet "A group of the mushrikun, a group of the Muslims were all called to basically be witnesses to the pact and the treaty like signatories to the treaty, amongst them was Abu Bakr as siddiq Umar ibn al-Khattab, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Abdullah ibn Suhail ibn Amr, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, Mahmud ibn Maslama, Mikraz ibn Hafs, right, who was still a mushrik at that time, from their side, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and so on and so forth. So there was an entire group of people, both from the Muslims and non-Muslims, who became signatories to this treaty. Now, the Prophet sallallahu wasallam at this particular time, the Prophet sallallahu wasallam wanted to, he basically said, now is time for us to remove, come out from a state of ihram. We have to return back. And the very famous story that takes place here is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he kind of is Gesturing, kind of telling, all right, let's go, let's go. The Sahaba are so dazed and confused by what just transpired. They're not ignoring the Prophet, nor are they disrespecting or disobeying. It's like they're so dazed. You know, when you're really dazed and you don't even realize somebody's speaking to you, they're just kind of lost in their own thoughts about what's going on here, what is happening. And The Prophet ﷺ has never seen the sahaba ever hesitate around him. So the Prophet ﷺ is a little perplexed by this, and he goes into the tent, and Umm Salama عنها, the mother of the believers, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, is there, is with them. And he kind of sits down and he seems concerned, and she says, Ya Rasulullah, what is the issue? And he says that I've never seen them like this. Never. So she says, O Messenger of God, they're just really dazed and confused right now. They're just out of it. The world is spinning around them. They came here with all this energy and fervor and spirit, peacefully, that they were going to do Umrah and leave peacefully. And they were blocked. And not only that, but then they were, had the basically the, 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 they entered into a treaty that is completely favorable towards the other side makes them seem weak. And not only that, but they just witnessed this entire tragedy with one of their own brothers. It's just a lot to process. But a Messenger of God, O um, Musalama says, never doubt for a second that they would follow you to the ends of the earth. They're just a little confused. So don't talk to them, you just proceed with the rituals, and they will see you. You know how we say muscle memory? just naturally start doing something a certain way. This is spiritual memory. That When you see the Prophet get up, you just get up behind him. When you see him sit down, you sit down, sit down in front of him. Right, so they'll start doing whatever it is that you're doing. Because that's, that's what they know. That's how they've been trained. So the Prophet wasallam got up, he sacrificed his animal, then the Prophet ﷺ sat down to have his head shaved. And the sahabi by the name of Khirash ibn Umayyah, he shaved the head of the Prophet ﷺ. And فَلَمَّا أن ﷺ قد نحرى ينحرون ويحلقون. When they saw that the Prophet ﷺ was, had sacrificed his animal, was getting his head shaved, they all got up, started to sacrifice their animals, and get their heads shaved. And then of course, this is the famous incident where the Prophet, you know, following, emulating the Prophet many of the sahaba, they shaved their heads and some of them just cut their hair. They didn't completely shave their head. And the Prophet said, May Allah shower His mercy upon those who shave their heads. And the, the Those who had got, just cut their hair, not shaved their hair, they said, What about those who cut their hair, are Messenger of Allah? And then again, the Prophet said, May Allah shower His mercy upon those who shave their head. And then he once again said, Well, what about those who cut their hair, are Messenger of Allah? And third time, he said, May Allah shower His mercy upon those who shave their heads. And he said, What about those who only cut their hair, are Messenger of Allah? And then the Prophet said, And also those who cut their hair. So from that we get that the Prophet ﷺ made dua three times for the person who shaves their head coming out of the state of ihram and only once for the person who just cuts their hair after coming out of the state of ihram. That's why when you go and you perform hajj or umrah and you come out from the state of ihram, you want to exit ihram, you have to either cut your hair or shave your head. And both are permissible, but that's why they say it is more virtuous to shave their head. To shave your head. Right, that's why I'm sporting this right, buzz right here, because it's more virtuous to shave your head, right. It might not be great for your hairstyle, right, and you might owe somebody a little explanation of work when you get back, but it's all worth it because the Prophet ﷺ may dua for you three times versus one time, all right. Nevertheless, um, they, now at this particular time, one very profound, remarkable, fascinating thing that I found in some of the narrations about this, is that the Prophet ﷺ, these animals that he was sacrificing, right, and even some of the other animals that they had brought with him, the Prophet ﷺ was giving out the meat and also giving away some animals as gifts. And one of the Prophet ﷺ sent a camel that actually had a ring made out of silver. So the camel itself is worth something, then it had a ring made out of silver, that's worth something. The Prophet ﷺ sent it as a gift to the family of Abu Jahl right so the the or, or excuse me the one of no what i wanted to mention was the prophet sallallahu one of the camels that he ended up sacrificing on that particular day was one of the camels that used to belong to abu jahl one of the camels that he sacrificed on that day were one of the camels that used to belong to abu jahl almost kind of bringing it full circle to demonstrate the fact That this is outside of Mecca. The same Mecca where Abu Jahl tortured Muslims and mocked and ridiculed the Prophet ﷺ, and plotted and planned to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ, and raised an army to burn Medina to the ground. And today, the Muslims outside of that city of Mecca, as they are sacrificing animals in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the animals sacrificed, is an animal that used to belong to Abu Jahl, that was recovered by the Muslims in the battle of Badr. It is being sacrificed for the sake of Allah, at the hands of the believers of Allah, outside of the city of Mecca. Right, and this was taken, This many took notice of this particular fact. Now, the Sahaba they mentioned in a narration of Bukhari, that خَرَجْنَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Hudaybiyah فَأَصَابِنَا مَطَرٌ ذَاتَ ليلة. And the Prophet وسلم, uh the Sahaba say, we went with the Prophet for the treaty of Hudaybiyah and it rained that night. Very peaceful, beautiful rain. So the Prophet ﷺ, we prayed Salatul Fajr, and then he turned to us and he says, "Atadruna Rabbukum, Do you know what your master, what your Lord Allah has proclaimed? And they said, "We they said we we responded." Allah wa alam, Allah knows best, and His Messenger knows best. And he said, ta'ala, بي بي. This morning. Amongst my slaves, some have risen up as believers and some have risen up as disbelievers. فَأَمَّا مَنْ قَالَ مُطِرْنَا بِرَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ وَبِرِزْقِ اللَّهِ اللَّهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ كَافِرٌ بِالْكَوْكَبِ وَأَمَّا مَنْ قَالَ مُطِرْنَا بنجم كذا فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ بِالْكَوْكَبِ وَكَافِرٌ بي. The Prophet ﷺ said that some people this morning are saying we received rain as the mercy of Allah and as a blessing of Allah and as a, a gift from Allah. Those are the people that believe in Allah and they do not put their faith and belief in the stars and, you know, in and, and different things. And there are those who say, no, 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 we received rain because of you know, the stars and the horoscopes and all of these different things. They are people who disbelieve in Allah and they'd rather put their faith in the stars. Now, what I wanted to take this opportunity to explain. Well, I wanted to mention just a couple of things here and then we'll inshallah we'll wrap up uh, the session. The first, the, 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 one of the things that I wanted to mention here towards the end of the session is that Al-Bara ibn Azib in a narration of Bukhari says, Arduna Antumul fatha You people think, after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he would tell the Muslims, you people think that the true victory was the conquest of Mecca. And he says that the, victory of, the conquest of Mecca was a victory. The opening of Mecca was a victory, no doubt. But we considered the real victory to be when we put our hands in the hand of the Prophet and gave him the oath of allegiance under the shade of the tree at the time of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. That was a real victory. And he says at that particular time that while when we were done, there was a well there. There was a well there that is present even till today. There was a well at the place of Hudaybiyah. And he says that we wanted to go, after we were done with the treaty of Hudaybiyah, we wanted to go and get some water from the well to drink and clean up and things like that. But when we got there, we found that the well was dried up. There was very little water in the well and the water was so low we couldn't get it out properly. So we went to the Prophet and we said, O Messenger of Allah, what do we do? So the Prophet comes to the well and he sat down um, at the edge of the well and then he said, please bring me a cup of water. And we brought him a cup of water and the Prophet made wudu with the cup of water And he made dua, and then the Prophet poured the rest of the water into the well. And he says that we went away for a little while, and when we came back, the well was completely full of water through the dua and the miracle of the Prophet, where we were all able to use the water and we were able to feed it to our animals as well. Uh, In another narration, the Sahaba used to say min duni Fathan qaliba." that very soon Allah will provide a victory. The sahaba used to say that does not that is not speaking about the conquest of Mecca, that is talking about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Hudaybiyah was a victory, and I'll explain in just a minute. And not only that, but Imam Azuhri, he says that there was no victory greater in the history of Islam than the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Why? Because after the treaty of Hudaybiyah, never again was there any fighting between the Muslims and the Quraysh. So many lives were spared because of that treaty. That is what we consider a victory. Imam Al-Zuhri, who is the teacher of Imam Malik, and he is a student of many of the Sahaba like Abdullah bin Umar. He says that the true victory was a treaty of Hudaybiyah because it spared lives. That we as Muslims do not consider the shedding of blood a victory. We consider the preservation of life to be victory. And another narration also mentions that on the treaty of Hudaybiyyah, on that particular journey, many of the sahaba, they felt very, very thirsty. They didn't have enough water. So they brought the Prophet ﷺ a container. And the Prophet, ﷺ, the Sahaba, said that the Prophet, ﷺ, well, they didn't have enough water. And they had a container that had water. It didn't have enough, didn't have enough water. And the Sahaba started to get really worried and really nervous because they said, We don't have enough water. The Prophet ﷺ said, Malakum, what's wrong with all of you? Why do you seem so nervous? And he said, Messenger of Allah, we don't have enough water to make wudu with. And. All we have to drink is what's left in this container. The Prophet ﷺ, he put his hand into the container of water. And the Sahaba say that we saw water pouring out from between his fingers. Water miraculously coming from between his fingers. And he says that it filled up the container of water, and that water itself was so miraculous, and had so much barakah, we all drank until we were completely full of water, satisfied, quenched our thirst, and then we all made wudu with that water, and water was still left in the container. And Jabir radiallahu ta'ala was telling this story, somebody asked him, how many of you were that day? And he says, there were 1400 of us. 1400 people from one container of water. Everyone drank and everyone made wudu, and there was still water left in that container. This is another dua and miracle of the Prophet And... Now some of the virtues of the people of Hudaybiyah, and inshallah with that I'll conclude, that the Prophet ﷺ said, it's a hadith of Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ said to the Sahaba at the time of Hudaybiyyah, on the day of Hudaybiyyah, "Antum ahlil ard." You are the best of the people on the face of the earth. In another narration, it mentions that Hatib, Hatib, who was a Sahabi, he had a servant, and his servant was complaining about Hatib. And while complaining about him, while his complaint was valid, and the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, taking his complaint, and was going to do something about it, the servant got a little emotional. And in being emotional, he said, "Ya Rasulullah, اللَّهِ Hatibu an Nara." O oh Prophet ﷺ, Hatib is gonna go to hell. He was really angry and upset. He said, Hatib is going to go to hell. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Kazapt, you lie. La hatib can never go to hell. Shahida Badran wal Because he participated in the Battle of Badr and he participated in the treaty of Hudaybiyah. This is a hadith of Sahih Muslim. In another narration, Hafsa, (radiyallahu taala Anha, she narrates this. It's a hadith of Sahih Muslim that the Prophet he said, That the Prophet said that those people who gave the oath of allegiance to the Prophet will never go to hell. They can never ever enter the fire of hell. And Lastly and finally, as I was mentioning that alhamdulillah, we had the, uh, the blessing and the fortune to visit that blessed place where this had taken place. This was a place that was marked by the Sahaba and remembered by the Sahaba. And at the time of Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah, ta'ala, a masjid was built there. The ruins and the remnants of which you can observe still till today. And a masjid has been built next to it that is operational today. And Sa'id ibn Musayyab, رحم uh, Taala, who is a tabi'i and a student of the sahaba like Abdullah bin Umar, he talks about going and visiting that place and offering prayers at that particular place. And many other sahaba, they also note that they used to go and teach, you know, their students and their children, they used to take them to Hudaybiyah and teach them about what had transpired at the place of Hudaybiyah. Now, what I wanted to conclude on was a little bit of a recap and a little bit of a thought about the significance of Hudaybiyah. I mentioned to you the narrations in which the Sahaba are saying that we considered the greatest victory to be the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. What was the victory at the time and at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah? And you remember the, f- the frustration of Umar at that particular time at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Well, many of the scholars, they talk about the fact that the Sahaba were so confused and even frustrated because they said, we've sacrificed everything. We have given everything. We gave our wealth, we gave up our homes, we left our homes, we left our cities, we left our families if need be. We sacrificed our lives, we put our lives on the line. We gave up everything. And we're standing, we're standing here today, putting our hand in the hand of the Prophet Alaihi and saying, we will fight these people if we have to. And we're willing to fight to the death. But now we're being told that leave it all behind, let it all go, let everything go, put down your arms, and agree to this treaty that is so obviously one-sided and favorable towards the enemy. And the world will see this as defeat. We have to accept defeat. We don't get to do umrah. We have to go back with our heads hanging low. After everything we've sacrificed. And now we're not even asking for some miracle. We're saying we will fight. We'll fight. But we're being told, no. Accept it, go home. We just watched our brother be dragged away by his hair. And we just have to say, it's okay. And go back home. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was asking for one last sacrifice for them. And that sacrifice is the sacrifice of your own pride. Even if that pride is coming from a good place. We are Muslims. We believe in the truth. We stand for what's right. We are willing to fight for the sake of Allah with the by the side of the Prophet of Allah But put your foot on your ego, sacrifice your pride, even your sense of self and put it all on the line and sacrifice all of it and give up all of it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you make that sacrifice? Because even those who can sacrifice their life and their wealth and their property sometimes can't sacrifice their pride. But give it for your pride, sacrifice it for Allah. And no sooner than they, did they comply, and they were willing to sacrifice their pride, and they sacrificed the animals and they shaved their heads and came out of ihram. And yes, their heads were hanging a bit low. And they started to march on their way back to Medina. No sooner than they started marching back towards Medina, that Umar Radiallahu ta'ala says, the Prophet ﷺ would travel towards the back of the army. And I was traveling even behind the Prophet ﷺ. Because I didn't want him to see me because I was so embarrassed about how I had behaved and what I had said. And I saw that the Prophet head kind of lowered. And that was usually a sign of revelation coming on him. And I thought to myself that, Omar, you are not important enough for revelation to come down upon. But I still couldn't help but be afraid that maybe, what if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is condemning me for speaking out of line in front of the Prophet ﷺ. Oh Omar, what did you do? I started to get nervous. And no oh, sooner than the Prophet ﷺ raised his head back up, revelation was complete. The Prophet ﷺ said, Aina Umar, where's Umar? And he said, At that part, my soul wanted to depart from my body. I said, Let me die. And I went up there and I said, Yes, O Messenger of Allah. Voice trembling. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Congratulations. Allah has just revealed inna fatahna You sacrificed your lives, you sacrificed your wealth, you sacrificed your properties, you sacrificed your homes. But today you have sacrificed your pride. Even though it came from a place of good. But you sacrificed your ego and you sacrificed your pride. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now guarantees to you and promises you and informs you that we have given you full and complete, total, absolute victory. A victory unlike anything humanity has ever seen. And that's the big lesson here in Hudaybiyah. That's why the sahaba would look back and say, that was the most glorious day of our lives. That was the greatest day of dignity and honor. Because on that day, we learned to completely and absolutely give up everything to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah honored us on that day. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to humble ourselves before Allah. To sacrifice everything we have and even ourselves for the sake of Allah. And and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to study and to benefit and to understand the life of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah we'll conclude here and we'll proceed on from here in the coming sessions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah bi hamdihi Subhanakallah bi hamdik Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta Nassagfiru wa natubu ilayk Jazakumullah khairan